This is The Guardian. Welcome to Weekend, a podcast that helps you switch off from your busy day-to-day and find entertainment and inspiration in the best Guardian and Observer writing from the week. You can either listen to this as one podcast or play each article as individual listens. Just scroll down the description on the podcast page for the timings of what we are featuring. Coming up. Marina Hyde is impressed by Princess Diana, the hardest working spectre in showbiz. Bella Ramsey talks football, rapping and why fame is silly. And Elle Hunt meets a woman who was crushed by an elephant. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Before we begin, just a warning. There's a bit of bad language in this episode. Now, thanks to psychics and Hollywood actors, Princess Di has never wanted for work. She'll be a real vision in Netflix's prestige drama, observes Marina Hyde. Read by Bryony Rule. There is spine-tingling supernatural news from The Crown a TV show that takes itself considerably more seriously than the actual royal family. This has never been a programme that wears the prestige TV label as lightly as have other jewels of the era, preferring instead to drag it like a ten-ton weight into every scene, while some of the finest actors of their generations pretend to be things like Sad About the News or Princess Anne. Giggling away with a drink and a packet of crisps, I often wonder if I am its only disloyal subject. Surely not. For a long time, I couldn't really believe anyone took it seriously and assumed it must be in on the joke of itself. A Nicolas Cage of a show, if you will. I can't quite decide whether this position has been bolstered or undermined by the high camp news that the forthcoming final series is to feature the ghost of Princess Diana. According to reports and it's not out yet, so usual caveats, the ghost appears to both Prince Charles and the late Queen. The Queen sees her while planning the funeral arrangements and starts crying, having been told she 
taught us what it means to be British. To Charles, who has apparently been shown sobbing over her body in a Paris morgue, Diana's ghost reportedly says, Thank you for how you were in the hospital. So raw, broken and handsome. Ooh! I'll take that with me. You know I loved you so much, so deeply, so painfully too. That's over now. It'll be easier for everyone with me gone. Can this genuinely be the dialogue? I certainly hope so. Having said all that, I've kept a close eye on the appearances of Princess Di's ghost since her death. I'm not her talent agent or anything. Indeed, the post-death CV I'm about to showcase might cause you to wonder if she even has reputable theatrical representation in the afterlife. But once you start, patterns do begin to suggest themselves. One of the most regular jobs Diana's ghost takes, for example, is appearing to actors who are going to play her, to communicate how completely okay she is with their decision, and, dare they hint, kind of honoured. Kristen Stewart, who was Diana in the 2021 film Spencer, felt some spooky spiritual feelings making this movie. I felt there were moments where I kind of got the sign off. It was the same for Naomi Watts, who gave us her Diana in an eponymous 2013 film. There were definitely moments when I felt Diana's presence, explained Watts. I found myself constantly asking for her permission to carry on. There was one particular moment when I felt her permission was granted. Hmm. Elsewhere, Diana's ghost has an eye for an occasion. Before this crown booking, she most recently appeared to, or rather was heard by, some viewers of the ITV broadcast of the Queen's funeral. As the hearse headed out of London towards Windsor, a woman's voice could be heard saying, The death is irreversible. The fact that she's trapped. Before a male commentator cut hastily in. Really a very competitive booking from ITV there, who do suffer with people reflexively watching the big events on the BBC. Speaking of big events, Diana's former psychic and energy healer, Simone Simmons, is still able to hear her ghost, even over the sound of cash registers. I know a lot of people aren't going to like it, hazarded Simmons in 2017, but she said we've got to vote for Brexit. Britain was great economically and production-wise, and before we joined the EU, she was interested in the referendum and suggested I vote to leave because Britain was really great before the EU. Righto. During Covid, Diana's ghost seems to have fallen in with an Australian anti-masker, but she had long expected to keep living, or after living, through turbulent times. In 2018, a Japanese spiritual leader announced she'd been in touch to reveal that England will experience another revolution. Also, I prefer Islam. Then again, she's a great lover of pubs, frequenting the England's Rose in Oxfordshire, formerly the Feathers, and several others, even if her chat tends toward the predictable. Like many with their gift, is it? Psychics frequently reveal she has told them Kate is perfect, but that she can't be doing with Meghan. Not that her royal spectralness is always welcome. A parson was reportedly called to Sandringham in 2001 after the servants refused to work in one chamber. 
The Parsons said, wrote longtime male royal correspondent Kenneth Rose in volume two of his diaries, 1979 to 2014, that the oppressive or disturbing atmosphere may have been because of Princess Diana. A poor show. But it must be said that, work-wise, the noughties for Diana's ghost had the humiliating flavour of John Travolta's 80s. 2003 found her appearing in a US pay-per-view seance. The DVD of this televisual horror show is emblazoned with the words Banned in Great Britain, which would sadly have limited the presumably much-needed royalties available to its naturalised American presenter, former Avengers star Patrick McNee. McNee certainly looks to be thinking of the paycheck as he watches psychics compete to get the best content from other side die. For someone who, in life, could pick up the phone to the likes of Elton John or Liza Minnelli for a sensational gossip, it must feel a bit of a come-down having to spend eternity with only ghastly old chances like these to natter to. Diana supposedly appears to one medium couple at the seance who say she's met Mother Teresa. Funny way to put it, given she and Mother T met several times in life, but perhaps they'd shared a drink from the River Leith. Or Mother Teresa was just being standoffish about the fact Diana's death, five days before her own, ended up completely overshadowing it. That seance came before the era of prestige TV, of course, meaning it was not inherently classy. Strange now to think back to that benighted time when actual culture secretaries somehow thought they had better things to do than write to Netflix. I fear a generation of viewers who did not live through these events may mistake fiction for fact, feared Oliver Dowden about the previous series of The Crown. For my part, I fear he is now Deputy Prime Minister. It would be wonderful to know Diana's view on both that incidental detail and her upcoming appearance in The Crown. And since she's the afterlife's greatest showbiz trooper, it surely won't be long before we find out. That was Diana's Ghost in the Crown. Darling, what's new? She's the hardest working spectre in showbiz. By Marina Hyde. Read by Bryony Rule. Next, Game of Thrones and The Last of Us shot Bella Ramsey into the A-list before they were even out of their teens. Ahead of the imminent release of prison drama Time, they talk to Holly Richardson about football, rapping, and why fame is silly. Read by Safia Inga. It's hard not to feel instantly protective of Bella Ramsey. The actor has just turned 20 when we meet in London, where they, Ramsey uses they-them pronouns, moved into a flat only a month ago. How did the Emmy-nominated star celebrate their first birthday away from home? A two-hour drive back to Nottinghamshire to catch up with family. Now returned to their new city, Ramsey is dressed head-to-toe in Depop finds, bar the socks and looks impeccably cool in a baggy rugby top and chunky loafers, sipping a lime soda in a bar. They shrug off fame because it's all quite silly, and say they still want to do all the normal things, despite being recognised every time they leave the house. It's puzzling to reconcile this unassuming, barely graduated person with the massive TV characters we know them for playing, 
from the sword-wielding Lady Lyanna in Game of Thrones to the monster-fighting Ellie in The Last of Us. I have always been quite shy, they say, but in creative spaces, whenever I've played a different character and I'm around people who are older than me, that's when I'm not shy. Ramsay's latest role is a frenetic performance as pregnant drug addict Kelsey in the second series of Jimmy McGovern's brutal but brilliant prison drama, Time. Its story of three female inmates, Jodie Whittaker and Tamara Lawrence also star, is unlike anything Ramsay has done before. The women are locked up for very different reasons, all challenging the audience's assumptions and judgments as their stories unravel amid the violence and desperation of prison life. Kelsey is far from likeable, debating whether to continue a pregnancy solely to get more leniency while continuing to take smuggled drugs. But Ramsay is perceptive in showing her vulnerabilities too. This is the first time I've been sent a script and asked if I want to do it without having to audition, they say. I find it very strange that they would just trust me like that. It's surprising that one of the most hailed young British actors of the decade would be so terrified after the years of praise they've received. I absolutely do not feel more confident, they explain. I'm at the point where I can accept that I'm a good actor, but each part is completely different. There have been characters where I feel like they are already inside of me, but Kelsey was more external, which scared me. Ramsay always knew they wanted to act. They joined their older sister's amateur theatre group at three years old because they thought she was really cool and wanted to be like her. Their parents were always fully supportive. My whole family is very musical and creative. My parents met through music, but we were so far removed from the film and TV industry. We didn't know anyone in it. At 10, Ramsay joined the television workshop and realised that acting can be a real career. Samantha Morton and Vicky McClure are fellow alumni. A year later, they were cast in their breakout role in Game of Thrones. I was mini, they laugh. This certainly did not show on screen. The small but mighty Liana Mormont totally commanded a room full of lords by calling each of them out for being weak then shouting, The North remembers, and pledging her allegiance to Jon Snow. Every man in that room followed suit. How could they not? Still, Ramsay insists, I had no idea what I was doing. Although too young to join the famous WhatsApp group, it was during Game of Thrones that Ramsay realised they work better with older people. I'm neurodivergent and that's part of why I feel more understood by adults, they say. It didn't faze me at all. Being around kids my own age would have been so much harder. Ramsay never really made friends at home. After leaving school at 12 and continuing their studies online, they say school wasn't conducive to their happiness, especially because of their neurodivergence. But they decided to give it another go at 17. Every time we drove past the school, I would have a twang of, oh, I miss it and I want to try again. So I went to college for two months and realised why I left in the first place. I don't miss it anymore. It is within the industry that they have made real mates their own age. I actually have proper friends for the first time in my life now, they say, revealing that their new flatmate is also an actor. It's lovely, but I do need my old men, my old guy friends. Ah, yes, Pedro Pascal. He played Ramsay's father figure, Joel, in HBO's smash hit adaptation of apocalyptic video game The Last of Us earlier this year. Joel 
whose daughter dies in the first episode, is reluctantly tasked with escorting seemingly fearless teenager Ellie across an apocalyptic America, and the two build an unlikely but eventually unbreakable bond. This friendship also blossomed behind the scenes. During promotion for the show, fans quickly became obsessed with their sweet words about each other and red carpet moments, earning Pascal the nickname The Internet's Daddy. As SAG members are still on strike when we meet, Ramsey can't answer any questions about the show or its upcoming second season. Although they have decided not to post anything about the strike on social media, they say they absolutely stand in solidarity. It's urgent. It is dangerous that people can't pay health insurance or pay their rent. They can, however, sing Pascal's praises. He's great. Having him throughout this last year makes going through that experience less lonely. But Ramsey is careful not to find too much comfort in the positive response to their friendship. I detach myself from it now. There's an element of it that isn't quite real. The problem is that when your validation and self-worth is being interpreted through the attention on social media, it can be addictive. They even have an app that makes them breathe for 10 seconds before deciding if they really want to open Instagram. It's nice to have that little barrier now. I try not to take it seriously. It's just a fun little app. Realising this is very freeing. Ramsey is good at this sort of boundary setting, which they first learned while working on CBBC show The Worst Witch, having been cast after appearing in Game of Thrones. They developed an eating disorder during the first series, were in the thick of it by the second, and decided to walk away despite recovering by the third. That whole experience was full of many highs and lows. I was just ready to say goodbye, take a break and go on to other things. While advocating for themselves is a continual process, it is getting easier. Today, they ask not to discuss gender identity, having been quizzed on little else after saying they were gender fluid during press for The Last of Us. Such assertiveness has been possible thanks to a great support network, says Ramsey. My journey has been very cushioned. I have been fortunate to work with people who are fiercely protective of me. I hear horror stories of people in the industry. I've had some massive challenges and traumas, as everyone has, but for the most part, I felt very safe. They want to continue this cycle with the next generation of actors. The protected is becoming the protector. There's a certain power that comes with being number one or two on the call sheet, they say. Now that I'm getting older, I'm looking forward to being able to help other people I work with, be the adult who can advocate for the younger person. While Ramsey waits for filming in Hollywood to fire up again, they have plenty to keep them busy. They recently completed the Open University's Environmental Science module. When I have time, I'll do more modules. Before doing a climate talk at Leeds Festival, where they stayed to watch Billie Eilish, and supported the film and TV industry's Green Rider contract, the climate crisis is clearly a focus. Greta Thunberg is like my hero, they gush. So I just wanted to learn more about it. They're also having script meetings about a project they started at 14, focused on a character with an eating disorder. They want to direct it and champion a young star for the lead. But right now, Ramsey is settling into their new London life. First up, the fair-weather football fan. Me and my dad joke about supporting Leicester Rovers. is keen to find a local team to join. Preferring to participate than watch is very on-brand, they say, also confessing to barely watching any TV. They also love writing music in their downtime, particularly rap. 
I used to write raps about the darkest things, they say. Like about child abuse and sexual assault. I didn't know about any of that. I was 10 and grew up in a very loving family. And what of entering this humongous new decade? Being in my 20s feels disgusting, they guffaw. I never wanted to grow up because I thought you lose privileges when you do. But now I realize you gain them. You can vote and drive and be independent. I'm excited about the future, actually. Time was the first show I've done on my own. My mom didn't come on set with me. It was a big experience in many ways. I was ready to move on my own. But I read an article about how neuroscientists say you don't become an adult before 30. We're just kids always, I think. It's just our bodies that age. That was Being in My Twenties Feels Disgusting. Bella Ramsey on Fame, Fear and Daddy Pedro Pascal by Holly Richardson. Read by Safia Inga. We're going to take a short break now. We'll be right back with the second half of the episode. Don't go anywhere. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to Weekend. Finally. Gemma Jones's dream holiday left her with a crushed pelvis, ribs and collarbone and changed her life for the better. 20 years on, she sits down with Elle Hunt to recall the attack that began with an ominous growl. Read by Bryony Rule. It was as Gemma Jones was climbing onto the elephant, over its head and onto its back, that she began to have misgivings. The trek through the hillside jungle in northern Thailand, near Chiang Mai, was highly rated by other travellers. Jones had been expecting a ladder, perhaps even a saddle. Instead, she found a wooden plank lashed precariously with rope across the animal's back. I remember climbing on and thinking, I don't know about this, she says. Jones, 45, is a clinical psychologist and yoga therapist based in Leamington Spa, Warwickshire. Back then, in October 2002, she was 24 years old and days into what was meant to be a 15-month trip through Southeast Asia, Australia and New Zealand with two friends. She was a relatively experienced traveller, but this trek, with leeches, outdoor ablutions and spiders the size of my head, 
had taken her to the edge of her comfort zone. By the third and final day, she was ready for the city, but not before the activity she'd looked forward to most, an elephant ride. For their group of nine, five elephants were brought to their bamboo huts, four adult animals and a smaller adolescent, each led by a mahout or a guide. Jones and her friend Yvette, a pseudonym at her request, were to ride together on one of the fully grown animals, while Bernie, the third in their trio, sat by herself on the younger elephant behind. What first struck Jones as she climbed up the elephant was, inevitably, its size. It was huge. Just nothing like what she had imagined from watching nature documentaries. These were Asian elephants, slightly smaller than the African variety and up to 12 feet high and weighing up to 12,000 pounds or 5,400 kilograms. The creature was so tall and so broad that Jones, perched next to Yvette on the plank across its back, could not see the ground on either side or the mahout walking by its head. The next surprise was a low rumble from deep within the elephant. She could feel it travelling up her legs. I didn't know that elephants could growl, she says. In 2002, elephant rides were seen as innocent fun and a key draw for tourists in Thailand. You don't realise in your 20s that just because you're allowed to do something doesn't necessarily mean it's all going to be fine, she says. They set out in uneasy formation, the elephants lumbering along the uneven ground. The two women struggled to hold on against the rolling motion. As soon as we started, I was like, I don't like it, says Jones. After 10 minutes, the elephant stopped so abruptly that Jones was nearly launched over its head. As the three elephants in front continued along the path, theirs moved to follow, but then it came to a halt again. The third time the elephant stopped, it turned to look at the mahout, now in Jones's line of sight. The mahout's face suddenly turned white, she says. The look of fear. I remember thinking, that's not good. The mahout turned and ran. The elephant gave chase. I don't know how long we held on for. It could have been seconds or minutes, says Jones. Eventually, the animal stumbled, or it may have deliberately thrown them. Jones and Yvette were both tossed to the ground, one to each side of the charging elephant. They landed hard in a bramble bush. Jones's glasses bumped up against her eyes, temporarily taking away the sight in her left. Her clothes were shredded, along with much of the skin on her left side, from armpit to hip. But her split-second reaction was of relief. I was thinking I was safe, that it was gone, she says. Then I realised that the elephant hadn't kept going. The elephant was still over us. What happened next, Jones registers in flashes, like a silent film. In such a high-stakes situation, your brain is constantly catching up, Everything is changing second by second, she says. There was no pain. This is one of the things I learned. Your brain just takes over and starts to sedate you, says Jones. That's part of the trauma. You dissociate. You have to. You can't cope with what's going on. Yvette was able to scramble out of the way. Jones was caught by her long sleeves and trouser legs. Yvette later confessed to Jones that she felt guilty for abandoning her friend, but Jones told her she'd had no choice. There was no fight option. It was literally run. You just didn't stand a chance, 
It was massive and it was everywhere. The elephant towered over Jones, who was on all fours beneath its belly, and in the thick of this chaotic scramble of feet and legs, she says. Its limbs were like tree trunks being uprooted and crashing down around her. It was at that point I started thinking about my family, the impact that this was going to have on them, and what would happen if I died. Then the elephant grabbed Jones with its trunk. It wrapped itself around me, picked me up, and threw me, she says. It did this more than once. Jones remembers a distinct thought penetrating her limited consciousness, that at age 24, everything that has happened to me could be everything that is going to happen to me. This is where it stops. Then, the elephant brought its great bulk down on the ground, level with Jones. It rolled over her from right to left like a steamroller. All my bones broke at once. My collarbone, my ribs, my pelvis, she says. I didn't feel it, but I heard it. I thought, oh shit, that's my spine. She believes that what saved her was that the ground was soft. Plus she had some experience of gymnastics and yoga, which might have helped her move with the impact. But there was nothing she could have done that would have improved her chance of survival. It's just luck and circumstances. She remembers feeling the elephant's short, bristly hair against her skin, the way it blocked out the sun as it went to roll over her again. She braced herself for the end, for her skull to be crushed. Instead, the shadow passed. The next thing I remember was light, she says. There was sun on my face, and the elephant wasn't there. The Mahout reappeared by her side, he dragged Jones to her feet and then over a fence to some nearby huts. The numbness finally gave way to all-encompassing and overwhelming pain. Everything just started screaming at me, Jones says. As she was laid out on her back on an outside table, Bernie and the others from the group pulled up in a pickup truck. Bernie, Bernadette Yonan, now based in Kingston-upon-Thames, remembers the sight vividly. Her first reaction was relief. Jones was covered in dirt and dishevelled with a bloodshot eye, but had no visible wounds. She was even talking. But as soon as you touched her, or went anywhere near, she started screaming, says Bernie. Chiang Mai was more than an hour's drive down the mountain. Every bump in the dirt road was agonising. At the hospital in Chiang Mai, Jones was given painkillers and x-rays revealed that her pelvis had been cracked from top to bottom. She also had a broken collarbone, three fractured ribs and internal bleeding, but didn't need surgery. Jones's call to her parents from the hospital was her first call home since setting out on her big trip less than a week earlier. Sedated with morphine, she told her dad in Warwickshire, an elephant broke my glasses, before handing the phone over to Bernie. By the time her parents arrived in Thailand two days later, she was immobilised by swelling. All the bruising started to come out internally. I couldn't do anything, laugh, cry or sneeze, she says. Even routine x-rays and redressing her wounds were excruciating. Physiotherapy, which she started on her second day in hospital, was a feat of endurance. She became hyper-attuned to who, among the hospital staff, she could trust to treat her with care. 
she still swoons at the memory of a porter who could get her smoothly in and out of a wheelchair. It's the details that really matter when you're that helpless. Bernie, too, proved a pillar of strength, advocating for Jones with doctors, but also helping her, and sometimes pushing her, Bernie admits, through the punishing physiotherapy regimen. She put a lot of trust in me, and she also had belief in herself, says Bernie. They remain close today. Jones and Yvette are also still friends. Jones was hospitalised for ten days, during which word of her accident spread. The consulate and the embassy were involved from the start, given the implications for Thailand's tourist industry. Obviously what happened wasn't a great bit of PR, says Jones. But her lasting impression, including of the officials, was of the kindness of strangers. My hotel room started filling with flowers. Nurses and doctors would stop me in the halls. The whole community was shocked, I think. Elephant attacks in Thailand are rare. The National Parks Department recorded 135 human fatalities between 2016 and 2022, an average of about 22 a year, despite approximately 3,800 working animals still kept in captivity today. It's a million to one chance that you're going to get attacked by an elephant, but if you do, it's a million to one chance that you're going to survive, says Jones. I do feel pretty bloody fortunate. In hospital, Jones learned that her elephant had been loaned from a neighbouring community and was under stress in unfamiliar territory. The Mahouts may also not have been following best practice by leading on foot and carrying machetes. But the specific circumstances of her attack never became clear. Jones was also told that the attacking elephant had been destroyed, but that may not have been true. We don't know, is the answer. After being discharged, Jones joined her parents at their hotel for one more week of rehab. Even as she was relearning how to walk, she was determined to resume her adventure. She was pushing to go to Bali to recuperate, but then there was a terrorist attack on Kuta Beach in October 2002. More than 200 people died, many of them young tourists like her. That was the last straw, and she flew back with a vet to the UK. At home with her parents in Warwickshire, her physical recovery progressed swiftly. Within a month, she had booked a flight to Sydney, Australia for New Year to rejoin Bernie and restart their trip. Yvette chose not to go. I think it was just too much too soon. There were clues that Jones was far from healed. In her mind, her traumatic elephant encounter had coalesced with the Bali bombings and even 9-11 the previous year. The whole world felt really unsafe. I always felt like I was on hyper alert. She developed a fear of flying. Even clouds could provoke subliminal associations with the elephant blocking out the sun as it came down on her, Jones says. It's funny, the pattern matching. Heavy grey skies just made me anxious. She sought cognitive behavioural therapy, then white-knuckled the flight to Sydney. I think in some respects it was important for me to get back out travelling, not to let the fear kick in at that point. At the same time, I was traumatised and didn't recognise it. Her awareness manifested first as a desire for a career change. In December 2003, after a year living in Sydney, Jones returned to the UK and started a doctorate in clinical psychology. She had previously worked in human resources, but the experience with the elephant had made her realise two things, Jones says. Life can change in a heartbeat and you never see it coming, And there are points in life when we're completely alone and powerless. 
You can't escape those things. They are human problems. So what do you do? I wanted to understand how to work with that. She started therapy herself and recommitted to her yoga practice. In 2007, five years after the attack, she even returned to Thailand for exposure therapy, feeding elephants at a sanctuary. Jones recalls the experience as helpful, if somewhat bizarre. Standing alongside this beautiful, serene animal was in total contrast to the chaos and brutality of the attack, she says. I just kept thinking, how did I not die? Jones now works with patients in private and NHS practice, specialising in palliative care, pain management and psycho-oncology. Though she does not do trauma-focused therapy specifically, it comes too close to her own experience. First-hand understanding informs her work. Trauma rewires your brain and your nervous system, so it is literally embodied. If you know what you're looking for, you can see it. The most helpful thing Jones did for her own post-traumatic stress, she says, was learning and practising trauma-sensitive yoga. Today, she has no lasting pain from the elephant encounter and no scars. The only visible trace is a wonky collarbone. For Jones, the decades since the attack have been a gradual and not always linear process of coming to terms with the extraordinary thing that happened to her. She feels that it changed the course of her life for the better. I learned so much about myself. I know I can survive. I know that you can suffer, you can be in pain and alone and completely out of control. And yet, it can be okay. That was The Elephant I Was Riding Threw Me, Then Rolled Over Me Like a Steamroller. All My Bones Broke at Once. By L. Hunt. Read by Bryony Rule. Before you go, we wanted to let you know that The Guardian is open to anyone who wants to read it, but closed to billionaires telling us what to do. Thanks to our readers, we have never been, and will not be, controlled. Join millions of others around the world. Support The Guardian at support.theguardian.com. That's all from us. This has been Weekend, a Guardian podcast. If you're enjoying it, please make sure to like, subscribe to and rate the podcast. Maybe even leave us a nice review. Just search for Weekend wherever you get your podcasts. This week's articles were read by Bryony Rule and Safia Inga and presented by me, Evelyn Miller. This episode was produced by Rachel Porter. The executive producer was Ellie Bury. Join us again next Saturday. Thanks for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. 
and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.